1.9 says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, little faith, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And I think that's a very important point that a lot of times in Christians' lives, uh, we get so busy, so wrapped up with everything else, we forget how great salvation we really have. And uh, we even forget that all of our sins have been forgiven. <laughs> and uh, that's an awful point to get in. Uh, as one guy said, we should never, ever get over being saved. And uh, a lot of people do, and that's, that's tragic. And, uh, but if you put the things of God back in your mind and your heart, I believe God will stir that gift up and that you'll remember the time that he took away all of your sins. And today I just want to talk a very, very simple gospel message. It's the gospel of the grace of God. And it is a simple message. So it'll be simple. You've heard it before. But for you that where it's lost its lust a little bit in your life, you've kind of, it's on the back burner. You're wrapped up in everything else. You're running to and fro doing this or that. I hope that it reminds you of what you were when Christ found you and what he's done for you once again. And he deserves praise and glory for that, doesn't he? Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course, bring it to its conclusion, with joy and the ministry which I have received. And what a ministry Paul received. Special revelation of God according to the revelation of the mystery. Have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now this, Paul's saying, I want to finish my course in this message that God has given me. And it's the gospel of the grace of God. And I want to stay faithful with that. I don't want to lose that. And God help us not lose the fact of what has happened to us. There are many groups, they teach and they preach false gospels all over the world today. And the question is, how can one be saved, be forgiven, and know that they're heaven bound? Well, one group, like uh, a lot of Christendom, they believe in lordship salvation, whereas they believe he has to be lord of all or you can't be saved. Uh, the fact that you have to do this, you have to do that, in order to know that you're saved. And, of course, uh, we don't agree with that, and I'll explain as we go through this. Then there's the Church of Christ who says you have to be water baptized and then maintain certain works in order to keep it. And they might use a verse like, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And it actually says that in the Bible. And so... That's the Church of Christ will say that. Then the Roman Catholic Church says you need to be baptized to wash away your original sin and then you need to keep the sacraments in order for you to maintain salvation and uh, be able to be in a good position so when you die you don't have to spend a long time in purgatory. And then the Pentecost come on the scene and they say you need to be baptized and then you need to have evidence of miraculous signs and wonders of gifts 
You have to speak in tongues. You have to heal the sick. You have to do a number of things to give evidence that you're a true child of God. Uh, I always remember I was at an apostolic church one time, and uh, people were going nuts that evening. And uh, I had went with a friend that I was working with over in Ohio, and uh, uh, he went forward that night. I knew why he went forward. Uh, he was just wanting to make things right with God. And uh, we, we applaud him for that. And uh, they got in a single file and went through each aisle, just screaming and everything. And 20, 30 people up front speaking in tongues, they were saying, and things like that. And I sat back there by myself. And then I saw the pastor and evangelist coming my way. And I, I knew what they were coming for. <laughs> but it was unique, I thought. Uh, they came up to me and they said this to me. Have you ever spoken in tongues? <laughs> and I says, no, I haven't. Then they said, well, you're not saved then. I said, could you show me that in the Bible? And they looked at me like I was a nut. And they turned around and walked away. <laughs> they, they didn't show anything from the Bible whatsoever. I'll, I'll never forget that, but some people, they believe that. And then, of course, you have the Jewish people who place you back under the law, say you have to obey the commandments. And then there's the Seventh-day Adventists close to the Jewish people who say you have to have faith, you have to be baptized, you have to follow the law, and then eat certain clean foods in order to be saved. And all this leads to a lot of confusion to lost people. They say nobody can agree with anything, it seems like. And so all these groups, they claim they get their beliefs from the Bible. And the tragic, the sad thing is they do. That's where they actually do get it from. They get it from the Bible. But they wrongly take passages from the Bible that's not specifically to them. They don't rightly divide the scriptures. And if you don't rightly divide the scriptures, you can just about make the Bible mean anything you want it to mean. And that's why it's so dangerous. Example, how many know that there's a difference in how one is saved, how one is to live when one is under law and one is under grace? There's a complete difference of how one is saved with one under law and one under grace. We've said it before that there is time past that God dealt with Israel. There is but now that God's dealing today with the body of Christ. And then after we're raptured out of here, the age is to come when God resumes his dealings with Israel. We are in the but now relationship. And back then, for the Jewish prophetic program, they were looking for their kingdom. They had, it was required of them to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the prophesied one. And then they also had requirements. Some of those requirements would be like repentance, faith, circumcision, obedience to the law, and when they would break the law, they would have to offer an animal sacrifice for their sins. And so there were a lot of things that was required of them. 
That was under the Jewish kingdom prophetic program in time past. Now, if you're here today and you keep going back there, you're going to get confused. You're going to have all kinds of problems in your theology for sure. But then there's the but now time. Now today we're under grace. And all that is asked of us today is to believe. We are to believe that we're a sinner. That we of ourselves cannot work or do something that would take away our sin. But we have heard that Jesus Christ is God's son and that he died for our sin, he was buried, and he rose again to life. And what he alone has accomplished is more than enough to save us who believe. They then, the person who believes then in faith alone, in the gospel alone, they tell God that they believe. In Romans 10, 9, it states this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, what? Thou shalt be saved. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, it's very, very simple. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Now that's important, that little statement. Christ died for our sins. What's this about? Romans 6.23, the first part of that verse says, For the wages of sin is death. Sin brings about death. Wages is something we've earned, we deserve, something we're being paid for. It's what we will receive for being a sinner, and it's death. Sin is at the very core of our being. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If you don't believe that, just watch the news sometime. Huh? You watch the nightly news and you're ready to shoot yourself. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's crazy what's going on. And today without uh, the bail reform and all this stuff that's going on, they put them back out in the streets, commit more crimes and more crimes and release more crimes. I was listening to a guy the other night, last night I think it was, he said there was a murder and the guy had been out on his fifth bail Five times bailed out just by recognition, not having to pay anything, and just go out and do the crime once again. So let me ask you this question here. You that are without ever sinning, please stand up at this time. Huh? You see, we can't. We can't do that. Because all have sinned, right? And there's a penalty there's a wage for our sin. Hebrews 9, 27, as it is appointed unto man wants to die. Because of our sin, we will die. This is what sin has earned us. We have to pay for our sin, and our sin says sin brings death. That's what the Bible says. Romans 5, 12 says this here. 
Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed up on all men, for that all have sinned. And so it's telling us that the consequence of our sin is death. Now, there is physical death. That's when the body dies. But the soul and the spirit separates from the body, leaves the body to go to the grave or whatever. But that soul and that spirit that's in us, it's eternal. And it lives forever. And it will go one of either two places. It will go to be with the Lord or it will go to the heart of the earth right now and be cast into the, uh, the hell portion uh, of hell. And so that's what happens when one dies physically. Then there is spiritual death. That's where one, the spirit part, of your spirit that has a relationship with God, when you are born, it's born dead. The reason is it's separated from God. It has no relationship with God whatsoever. That's why Ephesians 2.1 says, Do we that are saved, and you hath he quickened, made alive, wow. why, who were dead, in trespasses and sins. That's why we needed to be made alive. We were born separated from a relationship with God because God was not in us. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man, a lost person, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. A lost person just doesn't get it about spiritual truth most of the time, right? That's because they are dead spiritually and no life of God is in them. So there's physical death, then there's spiritual death, and then there's the second death, which is called eternal death. This is for lost people, where one day in the future their body and their soul and spirit will be brought together and will be eternally separated from God, cast into the lake of fire. It states in Revelation 20, verse 15, having the understanding darkened. Well, that's not the one I want, but that's okay. That was from a while ago. Now go to Revelation. Thank you. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so you go to the heart of the earth into hell today if you die without Christ. And one day you'll stand before God to answer at the white throne judgment. Then you'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. And that's the second death. Somebody says this, well, I don't believe a loving God would send someone to hell. Well, that's your idea. And uh, you're not God. You're not just, nor are you sinless, but God is. And God is fair, and God is just, and he will do always what's right. But death is what justice God requires 
and demands for our sins. And you know, I really believe that mankind knows that. And as a result, man, he is trying to do some things to prepare himself. He knows he's going to have to stand before God and answer to God for his sins. Man knows that instinctively. He knows that. And so man, what he does, he begins to look for ways to get his sins forgiven, to be able to make it to heaven and surely avoid going to hell. So he begins to look things that, for things he can do. I told you before about the fellow I sat next to, and uh, he, was, uh, he had a 30-second degree mace, Masonic ring on, and uh, uh, that's uh, because performing a number of deeds to rise up to that high and so on. And anyway, I asked him, I said, could I ask you a personal question? He said, sure. I said, will that help? get you eternal life and he looked and he thought for a second he says no but I believe it will keep me out of hell isn't that interesting that's the thinking of mankind man because of his pride he has the idea there must be something that he can do of himself to help the Lord save him by doing rituals and creeds and joining a church, doing the sacraments, being baptized, obeying the commandments, you know, how much money they can give. And perhaps by doing all those things, then with God's mercy, they probably will make it, they think. Well, Satan also knows about pride, doesn't he? He's the first one who had pride and he fell. And what he has done, he's created a false counterfeit gospel that attracts to man's prideful heart. Man thinks I can do something. Man's prideful heart. So Satan deceives man to put their faith in some type of religion with the hopes that they'll make it one time. Satan causes man to believe in a perversion of the true gospel, in a close counterfeit gospel. He might say to the person, you can of yourself achieve the, you know, your goodness to make it to heaven. I've been a good person. Well, God says there's none good, no, not one. Or Satan even uses Christ's name. He uses the crucifixion. But then he adds some type of work that man can do. So he creates a gospel of faith plus uh, he uses human effort with grace. Just like Mr. Buffett. They said, do you think given all that money, he gave like three, four, five billion dollars to this charity thing with Bill Gates. Do you think that will, will help you get to heaven? And he said, no, but I'm sure it'll keep me out of hell. And I heard him say that personally. And so they begin to, what they do, use faith plus some type of human effort. However, if any of man's works 
are added at all, grace ceases to be grace. Did you hear that? If you trust in any works of your own, it ceases to be grace. And we know we're saved by grace without works, the Bible tells us. Amen? Romans 6.23, the last part of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How is it possible for God to deliver us from all our sins? 1 Corinthians 15, once again, I deliver you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then it states, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. On the cross of Calvary, he, Christ, who is God, who became flesh, died for our sins. Sin brings death. That's the requirement for sin. Romans 5, 8 says this, you know it well, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ paid the penalty, the requirement, the punishment of our sin in the death of himself. Christ on the cross put our sin upon himself to sacrifice himself in our place for us. He took our sins Thus, he took our death. Sin demands death, and he did that. Our sin issue has been settled once for all time. It is finished. Sin's payment of our death was completely paid by Christ alone. The Father says to all sinners, my son has sufficiently, successfully satisfied my justice for all man's sins. My son has paid your debt. Romans 8.32 says this, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. Father did that willingly because he wanted our sins to be taken care of. Now, why has God done this for us? It's called grace. Amen? Grace, God's remedy at Christ's expense, as somebody has said. Grace is God dealing with us sinners, not on the basis of our deservedness or our performance or any works we have done. But God has moved in our life, favoring us, giving and doing for us that which we don't deserve and that which we could not do for ourselves. He died for our sins and rose again. Again, understand this. 
Grace and works cannot mix together. And it ceases to be grace once one work becomes involved. If there's one work involved, there is no salvation. It's all of grace. Salvation is received only as a free gift, only in response to faith in Christ and his finished work. It's faith alone maintaining its grace. Faith alone is what God requires, and only faith is compatible with grace because faith is not a work. Actually, faith is a gift. Huh? Romans 4, 5 says this, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And then verse 16, Therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. You see that? Faith and grace are compatible with one another. Understand, God accepts no man's works of any kind. Our works are as filthy rags. He doesn't accept one of our works of us or by us because our works are an insult to God. For he says, Christ his son has already done everything necessary to save you. And for you to say you have to do something is an insult to what my son has accomplished. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace. It's free. Verse 27 says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works, nay, but by the law of faith. You, when you place your faith from a true heart in who Christ is, he's the son of God, in what he has accomplished on his death, burial, and resurrection, for you and your sin, when you put your faith in that, the father at that moment you put your faith in that gospel, accepts his son's death as payment and makes it your payment. For all that was, is, ever will be sinfully wrong with you, debt paid. And the result of that is Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. States in chapter 2, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him. And then it goes on to state, And hath forgiven you how much? All. All of your sins were immediately sent away, taken off your account, and placed on Christ. Christ fully completely, totally, successfully, and forever did away with your sin, all alone by himself, forgiving you 
eternally. Christ, since he died in our place, paid the debt of our sin, thus guarantees we will never, ever again be in debt because of sin forever. What does all mean, by the way? All of them. Every last one of your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. And that's not all. Being out of sin's debt means we don't owe and we will never ever owe again. Being justified, he adds to our account on the plus side. And it means this here, and I'm about done. All our sin has been taken off of our account. It's forgiven. And Christ and his righteousness has been placed to our account. Romans 5.21 says this here. Romans 5.21, that as sin hath reigned in the death, that's what it had been in all, all of our lives, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Took all my sin, gave me all his righteousness. And when the Father now looks down at me, we who have believed in Christ's work and that alone, he looks at me through his Son. And that's why I'm always accepted now. I don't ever have to worry about sin in my life to block me from my relationship with God because it's all been forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean license. It just means what great salvation we have. Doesn't it make us say, now I want to live for him? Because of what he's done for me, giving me this forgiveness of all my sin, doesn't it make me say, God, here I am, your will for my life? That's what Christ wants. Ephesians 1, 6 says this here, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I don't have to fear one day I'm in, one day I'm out. One day I'm in favor, next day I'm out of favor. I'm always accepted. Why? I'm in his beloved. When you got saved, he took you out of Adam, your place of sin. Sin will bring death and you'll go to hell. But he took you out by the Spirit of God and he baptized you, placed you, immersed you, identified you now in the person of Jesus Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All because of this gospel. And how in the world can I live my life not realizing how great salvation I really have? How could I forget that I've been purged from all of my sins through the blood of Christ? Amen? Let's close our eyes. And with our eyes closed, let me just say to you, how many of you say, I know that I'm saved, all my sins have been forgiven, and I'm grateful. I'd like for you to raise your hand right now. God bless you. God bless you. Now, if you could not raise your hand, you could not say that, 
Why don't you right there where you are this moment? Why don't you bow your heart and say, God, I believe. I know I'm a sinner. I know my works can't get it done. But I do believe, believe in your son, who he is and what he's done for me. God, the best way I know how I tell you today, I believe. I believe in this gospel of your son. And if you do that right there where you believe this moment, he'll save you this very moment. Father, we thank you for the day that you touched our hearts. You opened up our understanding so we could see our sinfulness, but yes, then see the work of Christ that is our answer. Thank you that we put our faith in him and you redeemed us and you forgave us all of our sins and you gave us new life. You have a purpose for us now and God, may we live it to the fullest because we are grateful for what you've done for us. Not because a mom, a dad, or the preacher, or somebody's over our heads and say, do this, do that. But Lord, out of love of our hearts for you, we say, your will be done for our life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you is our prayer.